We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Drafted in a main event from the 109, the day that Cooper Cup has a setback. That's what we're going to be doing today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find the Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. Sean is our second main event. In our first main event, we took Jonathan Taylor at the 303. Did we? I don't remember that. I obviously <laughs> that doesn't seem likely. about that. Yeah. Doesn't seem likely. Seems like something we're just going to write off and pretend it didn't happen. And in this one, we're actually getting a little bit of a late start here for the, the YouTube listeners at the Rotoviz YouTube channel or the YouTube watchers. You can see the board. It's up there. As we're getting started, you're already getting a view what we did in the first round because we've already picked at 109. My big teaser a minute ago. We did take Amon Ross St. Brown over Cooper Cup. This is the first draft I'm seeing since the Cooper Cup setback. I was interested to see where he might go. Sean, only three receivers before us at 109. The start of the draft went Christian McCaffrey, Justin Jefferson. McCaffrey won, interesting interesting enough. Jamar Chase, 103. Bijan Robinson, 4. Austin Eckler, 5. Travis Kelsey goes 106 in tight end premium. His ADP is at the, the number two spot. Tyreek Hill and then Nick Chubb goes 108. And so we were on the clock with every receiver available we did decide on Amon Ross St. Brown. We had a quick conversation about it as we were getting set up a little bit late. We've never been one to be on time or two to be on time. We considered Garrett Wilson here, but we thought maybe we'd try to push him around the turn. So we take Amon Ross St. Brown at 109. Lamb goes 110. Diggs goes 111. Cup goes at 112. A Cup Saquon Barkley team here at 112. He is off the board. It's not something we'll have to discuss at 204. So that's the start so far. We're two picks away from potentially getting our St. Brown, Garrett Wilson start. A.J. Brown is still on the board at this moment. But how are you doing? Well, good and bad, I guess. I uh, I put out my deep league strategy piece today talking about how you win the fantasy pros contest. And, I mean, Ben, that, that contest at this point looks like it's going to have a little bit of overlay. Uh, FFPC is saying they think that you should enter because with 350 bucks, you've got a better chance than usual to win 1 million. But I'm starting to feel a little gun shy because Cooper Cup was one of the recommendations there, as was Kendra Miller. I don't think I should publish anything else between now and the start of the season because I'm taking these guys out. Like, I mean, there's some real strays being caught by 
I don't know. I don't know. So Garrett Wilson does go there. It's Man, been had tough, Sean. I had a good feeling tough. about this. I was telling you that, I mean, there needed to be something that balanced it out. We kind of wanted Garrett Wilson at the 109. I just felt like he was going to come back. He doesn't, though. I did as well want him uh, or, or, or feel like he was going to come back. I, I, I was leaning more towards Almond I do still have Almond ranked one spot ahead of Garrett Wilson. But, man, when we did our 2024 first round, Sean, both you and I had him as, I believe, our wide receiver three for next year behind. I think both of us did, did it that way behind only Jefferson and Chase. And for me, that was a little bit. And A.J. Brown goes, we're on the clock. We'll talk about Wilson a little bit more in a moment. Jalen Waddle, the last sort of of the exciting receivers this high for me at this point. And I'm, I'm getting really excited about him, honestly. Do you see an argument to go anywhere else? I mean, Mark Andrews is there. The best running backs probably are, are – I guess the best running back is Tony Pollard at this point. I know that's not a, a way you want to play this. What are you thinking? I mean, can we just pass? <laughs> I don't, I don't want to take any more of these guys out. We – uh I mean, I think that, that, like, tactically, Mark Andrews is the pick. But, I mean, I want to pick Jalen uh, Waddle. Yeah, let's take Jalen Waddle. I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with you necessarily on Andrews, but uh, I want to take Waddle, too. <laughs> so we're going to take who we want to take. I think, I mean, there's a, there's an argument for from a tactical standpoint because of the things we've talked about for starting wide receiver, wide receiver, and then wanting to be – flexible to hit some other positions it is a little different in ffpc where for those who don't know we start two running backs we start two receivers one tight end and then two flexes you don't absolutely need a ton of wide receiver depth necessarily um so you know could have been argued that we didn't need to get the, the two wide receivers in a format where we only have to start two and because of the tight end premium that's a big part of why mark andrews would make a lot of sense there he's still falling three picks have come off after us Derrick Henry, Devonta Adams, and Patrick Mahomes go. The Kelsey drafter is who took Mahomes at 207 and gets that stack. It is one of the most popular stacks in the early, or I guess we're not early anymore, but in the in the main event data that has been collected. Uh, shout out to, to Fantasy Mojo, who does some work on that stuff and, and digs into the actual drafts. Um, Sean, Garrett Wilson we were talking about. Uh, we both had him as our wide receiver three behind only Jefferson and Chase. And when we did that exercise, I kind of started questioning whether I should – I mean, I have both Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Wilson very aggressively ranked. But Wilson feels like the higher ceiling play. I think I'm playing a little bit of like floor, receptions floor with Amon Ra and having him where I have him. But you've made a really good argument that he is basically – I mean, this isn't fair. I mean, one of the reasons why I mentioned Cooper Cup today is that, I mean, Cup's 2021 was insane. And then last season, even as the peripherals declined and he went from 2.8 air yards per route to 2.3, his yards per target falls as a result. But he still scores a ton of points before he gets hurt. I mean, he's just this prototypical you know, crazy high floor, high ceiling player. Having said that, I think that your argument in favor of Amon Ra as – like basically a young version and this you know i mean you're, if you're taking a guy in the first round it's not much of an arbitrage play but but someone who could be the next guy and is on the rise and certainly if, if cup is injured and his quarterback you know maybe has some questions i mean maybe we essentially drafted the next cooper cup so i don't know that we're necessarily giving up a ton i say that having you know drafted garrett wilson yesterday with blair andrews blair joined us 
on road of his overtime in a BBT for this for the FFPC. It was kind of the same deal where just like we did with Jalen today, we had the 108. Cooper Cup was there. This is before you know any news about it. We said <laughs> we're gonna take Garrett Wilson, the guy we want. So we did. And I mean, I love that. Ben, I just got done reading your cut down version of ceiling signals. That was you know, a huge relief to me to be able to go through that and get all that information there. And, and one of the things that jumped out to me was that basically these two guys, and like we really wanted to get them together here. I mean, both of these guys, legitimate threats to go, like not just like 30% target share, but maybe 31, 32, which again, I mean, that starts to give you crazy high floor and ceiling. Right. That's where I was going to go with the Garrett Wilson conversation. It's this, this discussion that Randall Cobb's going to be the number three, obviously Cooper, or, I mean, Corey Davis retiring, uh, Denzel Mims gets moved earlier in the offseason. For a bit, it's, it seemed like the Jets were going to have a ton of guys. And then it was like, okay, well, Aaron Rodgers brought in his guys. How much are they actually going to play? And now it looks like Aaron Rodgers' guys are the only other ones that are going to play. It's going to be Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb and Michael Hardman apparently couldn't beat out Randall Cobb. And, and Sean, by the way, in this draft we are in now, Mark Andrews is still on the board at the 303 right now. It's a pretty wild outcome. Tony Pollard, Devonta Smith, Josh Jacobs, Calvin Ridley, and Jalen Hurts was the rest of the second round after the Mahomes pick. Hawkinson goes 301. Alave has gone 302 to a draft that started with three straight receivers. It is, uh, again, a shocking result here to, to see Mark Andrews falling this far. Ben, are you plugged I mean, into the fantasy matrix? Has I mean, he goes 303 finally. Wild. Did something bizarre happen to him in the last 45 minutes? I know. That's what I'm trying to figure out as well. That, that was... Probably the latest that Mark Andrews has gone in one of these, I would have to guess. But the the Garrett Wilson point is, you know, if he's up for it, if he's good enough, if he's ready to break out, I mean, again, the tight ends, you, you still only have Conklin and, and CJ Uzama. I mean, we're not really talking about any competition here. If he's ready for a 30% target share, he it now looks like after cutdown day, he's very much going to be in line for it. There's not a lot of competition there. The guys that are running routes alongside of him are very much ancillary receivers, not threats to him being the elite number one um similar case for Amon Ra when you talk about the guys that they are left with all of them are vertical profiles Amon Ra basically the only underneath profile Khalif Raymond sort of of you know uh, an Amon Ra backup but earlier in his career used to just be sort of a deep threat had 17 plus a dots multiple seasons in his early career even the Lions uh seventh round pick that they kept is a guy who in college 18 plus a dot I mean deep guys and, and even Jameson Williams when he comes back a deep guy. So everything kind of set up for him and Laporta and Gibbs to, to be the main guys underneath. So both of those guys looking really great. But I think there's great news for Waddle as well, who's the guy we did end up taking. Sean, we're now almost on the clock in the third. After Alave and Andrews at the beginning of the third, we get Jameer Gibbs, Josh Allen, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, and Keenan Allen. We are up. The top running backs on the board, probably Ramondre Stevenson, Travis Etienne. Uh, Brees Hall is definitely there. T. Higgins did go. So receiver-wise, I guess we're probably looking at Debo as the top. And we are through the top three quarterbacks and the top three tight ends. What are you thinking here? Well, I don't want to get through main event season without the two of us having Brees Hall together. I know you have him on some other teams. Is there another pick that we want first if we assume he's more likely to slide or we just do we just grab him here? 
I mean, it would be Ramondre Stevenson would be the only answer to that question for me. But I would be very comfortable just taking him here. Only one running back behind us. I don't really feel comfortable saying anyone's going to slide. But Brees would be the one that would. So we do go Ramondre. I think that was the right call. We'll 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 get some more drafts in if we don't get him here, Sean. I think we'll make sure to get Brees somewhere. Um, but yeah, no. So Waddle was the other guy. I think you look at. I mean, one of the upside options for them to to sort of have a third target share earner was it's Robbie Chosen. I think for a while it was Chosen Anderson, or people were thinking that was the the name change. I think the last name was the name change. I think it's Robbie Chosen, if I'm not mistaken. That's definitely what he had on his jersey, Chosen, during the preseason. He gets released, um, so I you know might not have to figure that out <laughs> if if he doesn't land anywhere else. Hopefully he does. We want everyone to succeed, but. Cedric Wilson restructures his contact track to stay in town. It looks like Braxton Berrios might be the, actually like the third receiver. They lost Gesicki last year. And it, you know, he actually had like five touchdowns and was decent as like a third weapon in their passing game. Everything was really concentrated on Hill and Waddle otherwise, but nothing has really materialized, whether that's Cedric Wilson or, or Berrios, that looks like it's going to be a threat to that. I don't even know who the, the top candidate would be to be the third main target earner there. And then you have all the the running back issues with Jeff Wilson going on IR. Um, A-Chain is, is banged up. Sal- Savon Ahmed is also banged up, apparently. It looks like Mostert and their their young dude, I can't even remember his name, are going to be the only healthy running backs for week one. Durham Smythe is your tight end. I mean, I think he's sort of vaguely interesting if he gets to, to run routes because somebody else has to catch balls, right? Or do they is sort of the question. And, and Waddle is like to me is just creeping back up higher and higher where it's like i mean these guys tyreek and waddle might just get everything right yeah i, I mean there are some very minor profile issues with waddle and i mean it was crazy how dominant and dynamic tyreek hill was last year when you're talking about a guy who you know 32 percent targets per out with waddle only 23 and yet with that waddle was number four in the entire nfl in yards per route and i'm telling you he has got room to grow elements of that profile now it's going to be hard obviously to sustain part of the yards per target element but i mean you're talking about one of the youngest and fastest i mean he came in at the nfl a little bit older he's not super super young but one of the fastest players in football in an offense that is designed perfectly for him even though he can't catch he put up those numbers last year despite the fact that he just like does not play the ball well i mean imagine if he caught a couple of those extra passes <laughs> you know jalen waddle was my 104 in our look ahead series and so i mean i've been looking for situations to not take him and that's one of the things we would have potentially had here is a situation where if we could have gotten garrett wilson then that would be great but yeah, I mean, Jalen Waddle has a very real chance to be the overall wide receiver one. Love that. From Andre Stevenson, I like here in round three. I mean, he should be a one-two turn kind of pick. I like him ahead of, but I don't have him ranked ahead, but in part just to reflect the difference in ADP, and I want to make sure that you know I'm not completely leading subscribers astray, but I think that he should probably go ahead of Saquon Barkley. I think he should go ahead of Nick Chubb. I mean, he might legitimately be like the next guy after Bijan and Austin Eckler are off the board. So I really enjoy this start that we're having here. I think it helps him that Pierre Strong was traded and now his competition is Ezekiel Elliott. So, I mean, I love this three-pick start we've got going. 
I do as well. We were one pick away from adding the guy that you almost wanted to take over the guy that you just described as a potential one, two turn pick. So <laughs> we, we certainly like the other guy that we could potentially get here in the fourth. I'm a little nervous. I'm going to be honest. The guy at the 10 hole picking ahead of us is running the clock down. He started with three straight receivers, seeing Liam, AJ Brown, Debo Samuel could be a running back pick. We're down to five seconds on the clock here. And the pick is DJ Moore. He starts with four straight receivers. So Sean, we aren't going to leave. Uh, we aren't going to leave main event season without a Brees all year together. I don't think. Right. Excellent. Excellent. And another note that you had in your just released piece. And I mean, I think people probably know this, or at least a lot of listeners know it, but it definitely seems like it has not taken hold in terms of ADP is that Brees Hall is healthier than Dalvin Cook, right? Yes. Now, I mean, maybe in two weeks, there'll be a situation where Cook's concerns clear up because of what they are, and Brees is still in the middle of sort of a longer-term rehab. But, I mean, it sounds like Brees Hall is already back to being like the fastest running back in football. And you just also mentioned the situation there with the Jets where – I mean, he could end up being a massive part of the passing game. So I really right. like this here. And and if there's any consolation to to you know missing on Garrett Wilson, I I've got lots of teams with those two guys together. I don't think it hurts us to have a team here that is not like both Jets. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I kind of like, and that was part of the really tempting thing about taking Hall over Stevenson is I was like, well, we didn't get Wilson on this team, so. You know, you can kind of understand wanting to, to really push Hall, but to get Stevenson and Hall together, I think was was you know, I mean, obviously once it once it works out, you're happy, but it was great to see that come together because uh certainly, you know, when you're in these big tournaments, you want to try to get the best version of the build that you can. So yeah, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Jalen Waddle, Ramondre Stevenson, Brees Hall. That's the start, Sean. We talked on our recent podcast about this wide receiver, wide receiver start, and then been being willing to address running back in the dead zone and go after this. And build this way. We've drafted like this in the past, even um, with some of our main events. Longtime listeners that, that listen closely will know the, the the teams where we have gone a little bit running back heavy. We typically have like one each year, uh, including a Brees Hall team last year, if I'm not mistaken, like a Brees Hall J.K. Dobbins team where we went running backs and maybe the fourth, fifth. Those teams have tended to not do very well <laughs> because it's just frankly not a very great strategy, but it is one that this year presents some different dynamics and some really intriguing dynamics, and we are willing to lean into a little bit. After our hall pick, Najee Harris and Kenneth Walker go with the next two picks, and then Christian Watson and Deontay Johnson. We're still a ways away, but what are you thinking as we start to look ahead to the 5-6 turn now that we've locked in the wide receiver, wide receiver start, and we got two really good one-two running backs, do you start to consider an elite quarterback or elite tight end option at 5-6? Do you start to consider um, – I mean, certainly other receivers are going to be in consideration quickly for us. Where, where where does your head go next? One of the things that we have here with this start that I do like is that flexibility – or not even necessarily flexibility, but the strong possibility of guys like Tua and Jerry Goff being fits for the team and also being in that price range where we can build a ton of other firepower into it before we have to go to them. And so 
probably it wouldn't be elite QB, although I have to say that in a redraft environment, you know, with a little bit of a lesser emphasis when we're thinking about the three-week race, you know, a lesser emphasis on trying to get, you know, all these game stacks involved, but just the high score at Justin Fields is pretty appealing to me. I think he has a chance to be the overall QB one. In our previous draft, we were able to get Kyle Pitts in the fifth. I don't know, you know, how much Pitts we want, but his ADP is close to getting back to us. I mean, he's he's such an upside play that that does still interest me. Also, Dallas Goddard, somebody who goes late in the fifth round, I think is just sort of the stealth play. I just think it's an undervalued type of move. We had an article from Ming Song today talking about A.J. Brown and this possibility of the Eagles passing a lot more. I think you and I on the show have discussed how you know there are some elements to that, but also some things where you know if that came into play, you might have concerns about other things that were happening. And yet one of the guys I think an easier way to play that or a cheaper way to play it where it still hits something that's very high leverage for your team, which is a tight end and tight end premium. I think that if you get Dallas Goddard in five or even coming back in six, as opposed to having to pay the prices for AJ Brown or Devonte Smith, that part also interests me. So those are kind of some of the things I'm thinking about here as we have about eight, nine picks to go to us. I think that makes a lot of sense. And one of the big advantages use that word flexibility. I mean, that's one of the big advantages that we have discussed about this start is when you get into these, you have a lot of options. You have a lot of ways you can go. And then the draft itself has value pockets and, and positional, you know, arguments for, for, for basically being willing to hit on at all positions. Even as you said, you didn't necessarily want to reach for a QB. There's arguments for, for taking like a field's it is very nice to have this little stable wide receiver, wide receiver, running back, running back start. Got some boxes checked off, you know, kind of focused more on your starting lineup. We've talked about this. It's a more comfortable way to draft. We've always talked about zero RB as, as a, a strategy that when you when you go really receiver heavy like that, you have to be willing to be a little bit uncomfortable. In a draft like this, there is more comfort. You do feel like you can go a lot of different directions, and this is a year where a lot of options could be there. Sean, one guy that I'm looking at is we're now five picks away is Brandon Ayuk is still not gone here at the 50. We're at the 504 now through the 503. If you really are interested in fields, I'll note the guy behind us who took DJ Mart 403. That was an aggressive pick. Has taken four straight receivers. Would not surprise me. Certainly is not afraid to go away from running back. Would not surprise me if they did want to get fields to stack with more. So if you wanted fields, I would I would probably say that we would want to talk about that at 509 as opposed to 604 i don't know that we would get him past the dj Moore drafter especially the 403 dj Moore drafter twice Jahan dotson and brandon Ayuko go back to back at 504 and 505 that's a really lofty price on dotson but not loftier than where you and i both have him ranked he would have been my next guy right after Ayuk. And he and, and Dotson, they're going in the last three days, just the last three days, going at 6.02 and 6.09. So it is above the current market prices. Right. But we, we're going to tip our hat to that because we're certainly not going to you know, think that that was uh, wrong of them. But yeah, definitely guys that we would have expected to have. Certainly Dotson, I would have expected to have in consideration at the 5.6 turn. 
But we don't have to go receiver here, which we've talked about. And, and the position that is getting pushed down, Damian Pierce now goes, is tight end. A lot of times at the 5-6 turn, you don't even get a, an option of any of these tight ends. They all go. Justin Herbert goes as well. We still have Pitts, Kittle, and Goddard on the board one pick away. One of the guys behind us already has Darren Waller. We might be able to push tight end around and potentially get Goddard at 604. I'm not really seeing clear reasons to do that outside of potentially maybe Javante Williams and James Cook if you want to go with a third running back or Fields. How are you feeling yeah, about Pickens. George? Yeah. yeah. George Kittle's health right now. Oh, George Kittle. I thought you were going to say George Pickens. I don't know. I actually don't. I, that's a that's a blind spot for me. What, do we have concerns about his health? I think so. But he goes there at the 508. So that's oh, not goes. anything that we have to discuss now. So we have Pitts. That's a pretty fun one. I mean, I like James Cook right here. I like Javante Williams right here. Who, who do you like I, more of those two? I don't know. It might it might even be a situation where I think that James Cook has a an easier way to get the whole thing done. I mean, Javante Williams is just such a, a massive talent. Who do you prefer? I have Williams ranked one spot ahead of him, but I had Cook ahead of him at one point, and I flipped him. That's why I asked. I, I, I really, I, I'm, I'm as indifferent as you. Do you think it's a running back pick here as we're down to ten seconds, or do you think we should just lock in a tight end? Let's lock in running Pitts. back. Okay. Let's lock in Pitts and see who comes back. We're going to take Pitts there. So once once Kittle went, it did complicate things a little. Because also in the tight end premium with the two flexes, you do see guys who understand the value of tight end, who take a waller early, sometimes hit a second tight end. And I'm not sure that Pitts and Goddard would have made it back. I, in fact, I don't believe they probably would have passed six more picks. This is behind their ADP. Uh, as you mentioned, they both tend to go a little bit higher in the fifth round. Fields does go one pick behind us to the DJ Moore drafter. That's interesting. I thought that he was going to pass on that after having taken four wide receivers to start. That's an aggressive play. You were all over the possibility he would do that. I love Fields. I don't necessarily know that I need him with DJ Moore. They've got a lot of other ways for him to win there. But that's a fun team. CeeDee Lamb, AJ Brown, Debo Samuel, DJ Moore, Justin Fields. I, mean, I like those four receivers, and then you get that elite QB with it. That's a fun one. You're saying oh, there's a lot of other ways for him to win. You when you said when you meant him, you meant Fields, correct? Right. Do you like right. more? I see. So the reason I was calling that is I think if you take more of this aggressively, you're pretty in on the Bears, and and Fields is the better way to play it anyway. So if you're if you're that in on DJ Moore, then I think you kind of have to take Fields because I think it's really hard for for DJ Moore to pay off four hundred three without Justin Fields paying off five ten. And then some. I think Fields is going to be the bigger hit at 5'10". Then more will be at 403 in basically any situation. But that doesn't mean everybody thinks that way necessarily. So I, I do hear your point. But I was curious if you were saying that DJ Moore had other ways to win. But it does not sound like that was what you were saying. We have not seen a running back go. Terry McLaurin goes right after Fields. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So then we're uh, we're four picks away here. Oh, Javante does go. I, one thing I want to ask you here, you know, if we get Pickens as a possibility, would you still be good with James Cook? Because one of the things that I'm seeing is just when we think through, I mean, there there's a risk to play this way, but there's also the upside where in round seven, you're you've got a great chance of getting either jerry judy or jsn in round eight you can take quentin johnston in round nine you can I mean, you got a great chance to get Traylon burks and if not you can take rashad bateman in round 10 you can take rashad bateman and it's just it's a very weird dynamic where wide receivers have been pushed up and yet the profiles you want are actually still available very freely in rounds where they probably shouldn't be we agree with all that. We are back waiting for the guy at the 10 to not take our running back. He did not take Brees Hall last time. He has still not taken any running back. After McLaurin, Javante Williams and Rashad White went to the turn drafter. Dallas Goddard does go on the way back. He takes a running back, but it's not James Cook. He takes Alexander Madison. I saw the green and got a little bit nervous. I I, I really like George Pickens, Sean, but... You were asking that question. I'm I'm right there with you. I think we can take Cook here comfortably. I like Pickens a lot. It's not easy to let him go. Other names that are available include Godwin and JSN. I actually still have JSN ranked one spot ahead of Pickens, and we can potentially get JSN at 709. That's part of why Cook, I think, is the pick here, as you just detailed. Excellent. That's a lot of fun. I, and, you know, I've said that several times throughout the draft at this point, but – we just, it was a refrain the other night and it became a lot less fun. Ben, I, I tend to be pretty optimistic and, and bounce back relatively quickly from things. 
when I woke up the next morning after Jonathan Taylor was put or remained on PUP, I was furious, furious, just <laughs> raging for that first hour and a half or so. And then I did the best ball banana sandwich. I, 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 don't, I can't even imagine what you furious was. Were you just like, uh, did you like lightly kick your garbage can? <laughs> no, I, was, I was angry. It's so funny that I've, yeah. I I do have a couple of, you know, old time tennis teammates. And it was, it was funny because between when I played in college and when I coached in college, I was able to kind of make this transition to being you know, calmer and collected and those types of things. But certainly some of my, my old tennis teammates would think it's absolutely hilarious that, that I have the, the calm. This idea is a calm. <laughs> it's like who threw more Brutus. rackets over the fence or broke more equipment in college than Sean? And the answer would be nobody. Nobody's even close. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do know you're competitive. I mean, that's one of the driving factors in all of this for, for all of us who like to, to analyze these things, play these games, there's there's certainly a competitiveness. So anyway, that's not surprising in your younger years. So yeah, I was I was frustrated. It went from being one of the most fun drafts we've ever had to a draft that now has a hole in it. And yet, as long as this whole deal, I mean, one of the things too, Ben, is you just you start to get really concerned. I've seen Jonathan Taylor go as early as basically almost unchanged in not just one or two, but like several underdog drafts that I've done. I've also seen him fall to six or seven, which makes a lot more sense, especially in best ball, where, I mean, you're just going to simply not get those points. I think that in redraft, like even on our team here, if we had decided to take Jonathan Taylor and just say, look, we can build out a good enough starting lineup, and, you know, eventually he's going to play. And when he does, he's going to give us massive points, which is sort of how, now that I've had time to, you know, really process it is how I'm looking at the draft that we already did. Now we paid more than, you know, we would have liked to have done, but I still really like that team. You have a, a situation here where, uh, again, you could draft him, but I mean, this looks like one where he could miss the entire season. Yeah, no, it's, it's a tricky one now. And I've moved him well down my rankings. So I moved him down. That first day, well, first, Sean, I was so frustrated, like you described yourself being, that I, I was like, I know I need to do my rankings for the subs. I know there's subscribers that have drafts tonight, but I was just like, I can't do it. I'm going to go turn on a TV show. <laughs> I was like, I'm going like, to go be annoyed for an hour. And Jonathan Taylor goes off the board here at 6.11. Jackson Smith and Jigwood did go off at 6.09. A bummer to see. George Pickens still actually out there. Probably not going to make it back to us, but this this early part of the draft continues to push players that you typically see go. We talked about Mark Andrews swinging all the way around, going three oh three. No one worrying about him in the back half of the second round. Here we get the back half of the sixth round. We're getting guys, you know, taking stabs at places and whatnot. Anyway, I did eventually go and and decide I needed to sit down and think about it and move Connor or uh, move Taylor down, and I did. And then when I woke up the next morning with a clear head, I, I, I dove back into it as well because I wanted to make sure you know I, I trusted those ranks. And I had to move him down further. Initially, I moved him down into like the Miles Sanders territory of my rankings. I ended up moving him down beyond the Washington backs into like Samaje Pirine territory because I do think what you said is true. Like we have the potential for this to be something that lingers all year. We have. Evidence already that the, the Colts are willing 
to push this and take on risk in some of those things. We don't really know what their offers were, and we don't know what Jonathan Taylor's asking prices were, but certainly leaving him on PUP was an aggressive decision in terms of that can backfire. There can be ways that that doesn't actually work out favorably for you. Jerry, Judy, and Pickens go on the way back here, Sean. We've been excited about the potential for what we could do at receiver later after this type of start, but this draft room is on our guys, so it's a little bit trickier. The best receivers right now on my board, which almost never happens, are Tyler Lockett and Mike Evans. Those guys are a little bit further down my board. I'm not completely fading them, but typically they go before they – I mean, sometimes Evans shows up as my top available, but right behind them, Quentin Johnston, Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, Traylon Burks on my board. Definitely some some options we can move to in that range, but we are – um, and I, I'm not even saying I want to take Lockett and Evans. That was just sort of from, for argument's sake. We are getting down to a lot of receivers coming off the board. Sky Moore goes here at 704. Sean, feeling like 2023 a little bit with that Sky Moore pick. Or 2022, I should say. Tyler Lockett does go as well. But yeah, Taylor, I think a really tough pick, and I'm with you. And then the tough thing is you talk about our team. We took him at 303, and then you know that there's going to be a whole bunch of teams now drafted with him at 611 like this team. So even if it works out for you, you are behind the eight ball when being compared directly against teams that are drafting him several rounds later. That's one of the – it doesn't mean those teams are immediately dead, but it is one of the really tough realities that even if he comes back after four games, even if he gets drafted, even if he's a great player for the rest of the year, you're still kind of in a tough spot. This is going to sound overconfident, and I don't really mean it exactly that way, but I guess I still have a belief that the team we drafted has got a chance to make it where I think even most of the Taylor teams who take him later are going to be dead. So I guess that part of it maybe even doesn't worry me as much. I just wanted to play. I wanted to play. Yeah. So then what about – I mean, this was kind of the thing that I have been floating this year. I mean, what about – taking another running back here. I mean, DeAndre Swift seems like easily the best player. I mean, there's a, a pretty important list that I, that weighs heavily into my process every year where he's very prominently ranked. So I would like to get him, yes. <laughs> so we take – I don't know if I'm allowed to tease – how far I'm allowed to tease it, but yeah, one of no, the – Go all the way. The number one player on the zero RB countdown, DeAndre Swift, our fourth – running back in five rounds. Mike Evans did go. A bunch of picks went off there as we were closing up that Jonathan Taylor conversation. But after Lockett, Pat Frymuth, Mike Evans, Trevor Lawrence were the three picks back-to-back-to-back. Mike Evans was the – well, I'm so zoomed in for the uh, YouTube viewers I can't even see it. The wide receiver 36 at the 707. I guess I'm not really sure if that's particularly high or low. It seems like that's early. You also had Jordan Addison in the queue, but you and I both don't really have him as the top of the available rookies. It kind of would have been the the pick so that we could have then tried to still stack like a Quentin Johnson and a Zay Flowers and a Traylon Burks and a Rashad Bateman the next several rounds. And we might have a hard time doing that now, but I think leaning into the Swift, leaning into what the room is giving you, we do have the anchors with Amon Ross St. Brown and Waddle. One of the things about those two that we do feel confident in is they're going to have a lot of volume. Again, you've talked a lot about this with Miami where uh, I know you've referenced the the stealing signals tool several times. The weighted targets per out run, the targets per out run for Hill and for Waddle, both among the top 15 or so in the NFL last year. 
going to be very concentrated in Miami. And then obviously Amon Ra right up there at the very top. Um, these guys are going to earn plenty of volume. They're going to stabilize our wide receiver room. We now have four running backs. We might have to flex two of them, right? We talked about that at the top. This is a two receiver, two running back, two flex scenario. We still want to get our receiver depth. But the room is giving us this. We're taking what the room is giving us. And then we're hoping that as the room has given us this, they've taken a lot of receivers so far. They start to go away from receiver and we're able to stack some bets. That, that's not a guarantee. There are a lot of drafters out there that like to think like us and keep taking those receivers until the wide receiver window closes. That might be what happens the rest of the way here. As the guy on the turn auto selects Jordan Addison on a timeout and Cortland Sutton, two receivers come off the board. With the little asterisk next to him on a timeout. That's unfortunate. But Dalvin Cook and Miles Sanders went after our swift picks. We're kind of hoping that more running backs might start to come off the board. Maybe some tight ends, or maybe some quarterbacks. I don't know. But we at 804 are very likely to take a receiver now, Sean. And then on the way back, we're hoping at 9 and 10 that we can hit a little bit of a wide receiver home run. But you got to take what the draft gives you and give yourself a chance to to really knock your draft out of the park. I, I mean, Ramondre Stevenson, Brees Hall, James Cook, and DeAndre Swift, while also having Kyle Pitts, while also having the Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Jalen Waddle start. There's a lot of good football players on our team right now, and that's ultimately the goal. And DeAndre Swift there. I think there's a lot of great evidence, and even just you know anybody watching the game on Sundays, I think would potentially also agree that he's the best pre-contact runner in football and it's going to be a great fit for that Philadelphia offense the home runs that he could potentially hit this year I don't know it, it just it starts to get the juices really flowing just thinking about that so what I wanted to ask you here or what I was going to ask you before Addison was auto-picked and I don't see the thing that was tough there is that if you auto-pick you go on auto-draft and for the drafter at the turn, you can get stuck with that second pick as well, which may have happened to him with Cortland Sutton. But I guess that's beside the point here. So we're we're up, and I don't think in a room where JSN went early that Traylon will come back to us since he is back at practice and doing well. I think that we probably need to snap him up here. That's your – you would take him over Quentin Johnson and, and Zay Flowers and some of those guys straight up? I would. And I think that Quentin Johnson has a much better chance of coming back. Okay. Let's take Traylon. I, I – yeah, I, I agree with the take our top guy here. I like and Just to give a little bit more context, that over the – again, just the last couple of days, Quentin Johnson, wide receiver 46 at the 9-0 – seven or the 908 Traylon Burks one spot behind and so with them that close and with Traylon I think the guy who's rising right now we want to kind of flip how we're looking at taking them they're going right next to each other in round nine but both of them had a shot to come back right somebody like a Zay Flowers I think no real chance to come back and kind of the thing I was thinking there is that Bateman not that he would be our preferred guy straight up but if we're trying to get a Ravens receiver, he's probably our shot in 10. Got it. That does make sense. We do have some cover. So we're as we're talking through this, I mean, at the top of the queue, Marquise Brown, Gabe Davis, Michael Pittman are all available. Um, those don't entice you. Most of them don't entice me. I might have went Gabe Davis 
or been willing to discuss going Gabe Davis, I guess. Uh, not, I don't think I would have ultimately done that. And I, I, I do like your point on Bateman vis-a-vis Flowers. Flowers does go here. The four picks since we went are Cooks, Charbonnet, Evan Ingram, and Zay Flowers. Pittman goes behind him. So some of that cover is, is getting taken away. And Khalil Herbert, these picks are coming off fast, which is always nice to see. We are hoping that Quentin Johnston or one of these other receivers does make it back. There, there goes Gabe Davis as well. Marquise Brown's still there at the top of the queue. Would expect him to go pretty quickly as well. Michael Thomas right behind him. And then Elijah Moore, Quentin Johnston. And then Bateman buried a few names further beyond that. That, to me, would be the rest of this tier hoping that we get at least one of those back to us, certainly. But I think you're right. I mean, we, we see these guys that have gone very receiver heavy. The, the Jackson Smith and Jigba drafter uh, already had five receivers, had already taken Sky Moore at 704, did take Pittman as his sixth here in the eighth, has taken six through eight. Uh, another drafter that just took Gabe Davis, that was his fifth through eight. I think you're right that when you get in these rooms where you're not seeing the receivers fall, you can't just hope that they're going to. Michael Thomas goes at the turn here, and this continues to be a receiver-heavy room, which is fine. That's sort of how we expect things to go, frankly, coming from, or, or what we would say is, is probably more efficient, and then certainly coming from the underdog streets and some of the best ball stuff. Kadarius Tony goes right behind Michael, Michael Thomas. So we're getting a lot of receivers. That cover is getting blown. Elijah Moore does come off. One of your notes today was that you moved Rasheed Rice down a little bit. Uh, I'm still very high there, but I certainly understand why you would do that. Does that have a corresponding pull where Kadarius Tony creeps up a tad bit or he remains unaffected? I didn't move Tony up in the ranks, but I did write a piece yesterday of the thing, biggest things that I might get wrong and try to talk through some of the things that are concerning to me. And, and Tony was one that, I mean, it's certainly one that I could look back on at the mid-season and be like, well, miss that. Because he's a very talented player, very athletic, shown a ton of yak ability, shown some target-earning ability, a lot of reasons uh, to like him. Can't stay on the field. I I mean, I the reason I don't want to move him up is I just don't feel like they're ever going to get comfortable enough to play him a full snap share. So, like, one of my points was if he gets to 70 or 80% routes at some point, it's probably going to feel like a miss. Just – you know, for that stretch at least, assuming he stays healthy and, and plays at that rate. But I kind of feel like when they talk about the packages and the rotations, when they keep seven receivers, when they did that last year, and the only guys they're really talking about as potential full-time guys are Sky and MVS, they're already talking. Part of the reason I moved Rice down is you had Brett Veach openly saying, the GM, that we're, we're going to think of him as a package player early in the year. Same with Justin Ross. And I think Ross is a great example of another guy like Tony where this guy has health issues, and I don't think you're probably going to see a ton of 80% route shares from Justin Ross, even if he breaks out. Because I, I think the way that the Chiefs are seeing it is we want to keep these guys healthy, we want to rotate them. They're also thinking three games into the playoffs, right? We want them to make these decisions to make these guys full-timers by week 17. They might do it in the AFC Championship game if they really think that's their best chance to win. But – Week 17 for the Chiefs in some ways is a warm-up, right? So it does become a little bit tricky, and I think there might be a little bit more rotating there than we want in fantasy football land. Since we 
saw Elijah Moore go, Sean. Five picks, only one receiver. It was Romeo Dobbs, who we do like, but not one of the main guys we're aiming for. Jalen Warren, Dalton Kincaid, A.J. Dillon, Dobbs, and Tyler Higby were the five picks. We are on deck. Quentin Johnston, Bateman. Mims was the guy we were talking about alongside Rasheed Rice, and I think there's a gap now. Mims, you have to continue to, to hold very in very high esteem right now uh, based on everything. But they, they claimed Philip Dorsett to get back to five receivers. The only receivers they had were Sutton, Jerry Judy, who – I think you have to be optimistic about his health as well, given the fact that they cut all their other receivers. And Mims, who you have to be optimistic they're going to lean into. And then Brandon Johnson and Philip Dorsett now are the only other receivers they have on the roster. They're going to do some two tight end stuff as well. But Mims, I think, going to get plenty of run early in his rookie year. So he's one that's very exciting as well. Juju Smith-Schuster goes, Sean. Quinn Johnston. Uh, Marquise Brown <laughs> still on the board. Not, not our favorite option, but... I mean, that's crazy. It's way, way past ADP. If we didn't have other good options, I would maybe want to do it. But um, do you like Quentin here? I do. I was I was really holding my breath because now I think some of the other earlier decisions look really good. Yeah, Quentin, you called the shot that he was going to come back here, and that was why you wanted to take Burks. You wanted to get both of them, and we did. So take your bow. That was a very nice so just to go on Dobbs there, I mean, one of the things with Dobbs is Dobbs is also hurt. And that's a huge bummer because we have a lot of Dobbs. But it sounds like he might not be ready for week one. And so that makes him a tough pick in this range. We did select him uh, sort of deep into the going deep draft that Mike Clay runs every year. And so and we still have a lot of confidence in him. But it's disconcerting without question that they won't answer whether or not, you know, he's in good shape for the first week of the season. And then your notes there on Mims, I'm looking at that and I'm like, I mean, maybe there are some other things that will happen here. Maybe they come out with just like 25% all tight end packages, but on legitimate passing plays in week one, I mean, Marvin Mims looks like he's set up to play the entire game. I mean, unless Jerry Judy's just a full go in week one, what what else are they going to do? Again, they have five receivers on the roster, including Judy. And, and Philip Dorsett, who they just claimed, and Brandon Johnson, who's more of a – I mean, was he even in camp with them, or did they claim him as well? Did they get down? Were they one of the teams that got down to three receivers for a while? They've had Brandon Johnson for a while, if I'm not mistaken. But, yeah, a, a, a surprising – yeah, Brandon Johnson's a UDFA from 2022 that they have had on the roster this offseason. But still, they're at a point now where they're looking at – Mims, Judy, Sutton, and Brandon Johnson. Did they cut Philip Dorsett again? Okay, he's on their practice squad now. Earlier today when I when I wrote my look, they had him on the active roster. I'm not entirely sure. They might only have four active receivers. And again, one of them is Jerry Judy, who the whole fantasy community is playing like he's not going to play for three weeks. And I am concerned about Jerry Judy's hamstring, but good for him to, to avoid IR. But yeah, the way you put it, like Marvin Mims is going to play every down week one. <laughs> So now that we've gone through that, his ADP is 11.02. I mean, are we in the situation where you would like him better just straight up than Rashad Bateman? That's where it gets tricky. And we, as we're talking through that, Marquise Brown did go. And then three running backs into Sean Watson go. Antonio Gibson, Raheem Mostert, Samaji Piran all around the turn. This guy in front of us takes Tank Bigsby. So we do have to make that choice. Probably still Bateman, but I don't know. I mean, the other pick here, too, is Sam Laporta. We have 
I mean, we're somewhat leaning into the Lions. We talked on the previous show about the flexibility you get from that first Thursday night game by having Lions and Chiefs. I've got three players I really like here. I, I so, sort of want all of them. Mims is the most likely to make it back, I would think. That's why I would want to push him. Laporta's intriguing. I like pairing Pitts with another good upside option. But we do only have the four receivers. And I I, I kind of think not taking – like getting Bateman to fall to us in 10, that's what we were kind of laying out when we took Burks, that we might have the shot at that. Kind of feel like that would be looking a gift horse in the mouth a little bit as I was saying that. You did click Bateman. I think that's right. Laporta goes one pick behind it. That's always a little bit of <laughs> like, oh, man, maybe we should just take a Laporta. He was very clearly the tight end pick. Dalton Kincaid and Higby had both gone in the ninth before we took Quinton Johnston. Evan Ingram and Njoku were off the board in the eighth. Pat Fryermuth in the seventh. When you get into that range, Laporta's the play. He's the play over Higby. He's arguably the play over Kincaid. Are you regretting that now that, we, that we've clicked the button and we've had a few seconds? Well, one of the things that does happen if you pass on the receiver is that there's an extra receiver in the pool to push back through to you. I I mean, that's one of the things, though, that I like about taking that Kyle Pitts shot there is that I mean, we need that to work. We talk about both drafting like you're right and drafting like you're wrong, and you really want to combine the best elements of both of those two things. By taking Pitts, we are in a bet on pits. I think that in the tight end premium, you can kind of get overboard and thinking you're going to start a lot of those guys when really the having multiple tight ends in your lineup is more of an FFPC best ball thing. Now that's not to say that if you ended up with two stars, you couldn't play it because you definitely can. But I don't think that we want to build the lineup around that. And certainly if we get into a situation where we have both running back and wide receiver built out, if we're in a position here at the end of the draft where we've taken these four running backs and yet we still like our wide receivers, then as we move through the season, we've got a lot we can do. And so we would be able to do both of those things, but also have Kyle Pitts. And so, yeah, that's where I was at with it. I think you put that really well. And particularly with the Kyle Pitts bet, and getting ahead of ourselves with the the tight end and the flex because with the four running backs, I mean, we're already, and then we're trying to get receiver depth as well. Like, we're already well into our flex. I mean, assuming things pan out well for this team, we already had four running backs and four receivers, and we can only start six of those players total. So Laporta, just based on draft spot, obviously you want redundancy, but would have been in some respects, our third flex-eligible bench player. Now, that's not the right way to think of it, but it is sort of one way of, of, of framing it when you think about having um, the four running backs. And so, I mean, Bateman is, too, the same thing, but we're, we're fixing, you know, chasing the receiver depth, fixing the lack of receiver depth early in the build, and as you just put it, the, the ability to have the four running backs and still have Amon Ross St. Brown, Jalen Waddle, Traylon Burks, Quinton Johnston, and Rashad Bateman as your five receivers is a is a is a very fun way to build. That's what we kind of set out to do. To, what we think is kind of silly in 2023. That's a five receiver build that should probably take you a seven round start to do with two detours. And instead, we're able to do that with four legit running backs in Stevenson, Hall, Cook, and Swift. 
and Kyle Pitts, as, as you noted. We also went out of our way to get a onesie in there. It's a very fun team. It's a very fun team so far. It is. The only disappointing thing that's happened, this has been a run of players who are not really on our board. Now, Jerk McKinnon, I think, you, you also mentioned, I keep, I keep reflecting on these great nuggets that you had in your piece. I thought it was interesting. You said people should move Clyde Edwards a up. I'm putting Jarrett McKinnon into the zero RB update because that chief's running back situation is so bad. You mentioned that people have to think about CEH. I, I just don't think he can play at all, which is not disagreeing with what you're saying either. But then we have Adam Thielen, Anthony Richardson, Nico Collins, Daniel Jones, Elijah Mitchell, Dalton Schultz, Jawan Johnson, that group, I mean, the quarterbacks are kind of interesting. Elijah Mitchell is kind of interesting. A bunch of names we don't care about, but Marvin Mims does go 11-03. Yeah, bummer to see Mims go. Sean, I don't want to take CEH in your league, but he looks like a – they have three active running backs, and he's a guy that has been there and knows the offense, and he fell into six touchdowns early last year when they were playing him. Like, this is a guy that – like, he's going in, like, the 18th round. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. He's a potential Chiefs running back. Pacheco's not healthy. LaMichael P. P. Ryan. LaMichael P. Ryan is the answer. Keep that name. I mean, with the Kansas City Chiefs, you actually want to look at their practice squad. They're like, well, their guys on their actual roster can't play. Check their practice squad. Ah, So Rasheed Rice goes as well. I do feel confident, Sean, with all these names that have – I mean, not even a ton have gone off, but I do feel confident that, like, it wasn't – I mean, you said if we sent Bateman, it might have pushed Mims back, but seeing both Mims and Rice go, I just – I kind of feel like – Bateman probably wouldn't help to push back Mims enough, if that makes any sense. Maybe it would have. Um, but yeah, the only other really intriguing receiver at this point to me is is our buddy Pete Overton has made a good case to me about Jonathan Mingo. Um, I mean, legit shot to be the number one. I think Bryce, Bryce Young has looked good in the in the preseason. The intriguing receivers in that Carolina offense we talked about: Terrace Marshall, Lavisca Chanel, both picked up August. Injuries, it looks like Mingo's going to play a lot from, from week one. We don't actually really like Mingo's profile a lot, but the competition is weak. He could be an interesting option. What else are you thinking here? Uh, is it tight end? Uh, I mean, well, I, I think big drop off from Laporta. Go yeah, sorry. We've pushed Tua, and he oh, has made it back yes. to us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The I mean, other three teams to this side of the board do have QBs, but especially the Watson drafter. I think a real threat to double dip there and kind of play those guys together. I had a fun show with JJ the other day, and then he shared with me one of his main events where he went Watson to uh, to trying to accomplish something we had kind of talked about on the show. So I think we could still lose him there. I like Jamison Williams, Devin A. Chain, and Ty J. Spears here. I think that whoever comes back will probably be fine with. Okay, let's do it that way then. I was going to bring Tua. up Williams. I had not looked at the running backs deep enough, but yeah, I think Tua. If you're, I think you're right. One of those three. Those are all intriguing names. I was going to say, I know you really like Williams, and he would have been an interesting wide receiver six in this build for sure. So hopefully he comes back. But also, A-Chain's a really interesting pick at this stage of, we just found out today that Jeff Wilson will start the season on IR. Ezekiel Elliott was the last running back taken. Certainly we're in Devin A-Chain range, even though he is a little bit banged up. And I agree with you. Tajay Spears is a really nice pick at this point as well so the the wilson news really shocked me as well because my understanding from reading about the dolphins practices was that 
after he had gotten hurt, he didn't play in the preseason game. And for a while it was, it was, you know, listed as undisclosed, but it sounded like the people who were there, you know, at the practices and whatnot, that it had been a hand injury and that he had actually continued practicing. So that was one of the reasons why I hadn't like really pushed Mostert up and really hadn't pushed Wilson down, which is what was happening by ADP. But I mean, now the Dolphins, I mean, the, the release the Dolphins had with that today too, wasn't even just like, yeah, I mean, we've got roster considerations that we have to deal with. So we had to do it that way. There was this almost cryptic comment that was like, oh, we wouldn't be surprised if he played this year, which I mean, that also implies that it's very possible he won't play this year, which I didn't think was even on the table. And so, I mean, A-Chain, pretty exciting. I mean, he's also hurt, right? And you can understand why they were trying to go after Jonathan Taylor, which seemed mystifying. Other than Jonathan Taylor is awesome, and every other team in the NFL should be going after him, <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's humorous that a Dolphins team that has spent so much on him or on their running backs in terms of re-signing those two guys and drafting A-Chain. And then you find out the other mystery team is the Packers. The Packers. Which Aaron I got to feel like they were... Dillon. They must have been talking about sending Dylan back. That's like the only way that makes sense to me. But A-Chain does go one pick ahead of us here, Sean. We have Ty J Spears available. I think with our four early running backs, I like Ty J Spears. You've gotten me really on to him. But I, I think Jameson Williams is a really intriguing wide receiver six on this build. We don't really need to play him early. The flex, like we talked about, could be covered, but he could come and provide. If your thesis is on him is right, and I've been pretty out on him, but if it's right, I think he's a really nice addition to this build. Do you, do you like him over, do you, or do you prefer Spears here? I think I would like to stash a receiver with this much upside. Will that work? So this is one of the things, too, where I, I do want to differentiate between redraft and best ball here as we're constructing the rosters, which is that, yeah, I mean, he's going to be a a lost roster spot for a long time and this is only a 12 week week regular season you've got to keep that in mind as you're putting the team together and yet when we're talking about the difference between how you're going to manage a starting lineup where the guys you put in are going to be the ones that matter now we tend to be always overly enthusiastic about who's going to stay healthy how many points they're going to score all of those types of things but if we get to the point here where like the next guy who goes right after us is Alan Lazard. If we get to a point in this we took roster, Williams at wide receiver 58. I have him as a fade at wide receiver 51. So several receivers behind where I have him ranked as a fade have already gone. I mean, if, if you are putting Alan Lazard in your roster before into your starting lineup before Jamison Williams is eligible to come back from suspension, then I mean, your roster has issues it's just it's not in the mix right <laughs> so i mean as our wide receiver six and we're trying to figure out how do we get the upside to win the whole tournament specifically when we took four early running backs and so on a lot of squads it wouldn't make sense right if this is a zero rb build you're going to be like dead set this is a lock ty j spears pick i think in this one it was almost a lock the other direction yeah i think this was a really nice spot to to get like i'm i'm really excited i i to be clear i mean i haven't ranked wide receiver 51 and he's a fade i was looking it up he actually is going wide receiver 58 so it's kind of weird that i have him as a fade at 51 but um 
that's in part because a lot of the other receivers just don't belong ranked any higher. <laughs> you know, the other guys that have gone are Adam Thielen is a, a bigger fade, I guess, than, than Jameson Williams. He went two rounds ahead of where we took Williams. Well, we had Rondell Moore go also, and and I love Rondell Moore. I the reason that we passed on Marquise Brown, we didn't talk about this. We probably should have. Once Colt McCoy was released, I think you have to assume this offense is going to not convert many third downs they're not going to score many points they're not going to complete many passes and it just it really hurts everybody now i I mean those young guys could do some dynamic things it probably makes more sense for the team to see them than to waste time with colt mccoy but i mean this has the sort of houston texans of the last two years potential where you know a player like brandon cooks for example would still get shut down it just it is very very bleak you've been talking all offseason about their implied win total and how historically bad it is. And as soon as they started talking about potentially not going with Colt McCoy, I started to see that as a possibility. Once they released him, they're like, I mean, this team has 0-17 written all over it. <laughs> Four and a half was the win total. It's been getting bet to the under so heavily <laughs> that I think it's moved down to three and a half, if I'm not mistaken, where... I mean, if you wanted to take the under at four and a half, you have to pay some pretty steep odds on that. Um, at, a, at a point this offseason, there have definitely been points where I've been wondering if the over on that made sense because it's such a low number. And it's like, God, win five games out of 17? How could you just got to go five and 12? I mean, Kyler could be back at some point. You know, <laughs> what if he plays 10 games? Even if they lose their first seven and he plays the last 10, all he's got to do is go five and five and you're good at. But, uh, I don't know, man. I think I'd take the under three and a half at this point. <laughs> well, some of the other that. reporting there too, which I don't know if this is people just, I don't want to say making stuff up, but things that, you know, are just people talking and it, it doesn't have that much to do with anything. But some of the reporting when they made the trade and brought in an outside quarterback was that Arizona insiders are telling people that Kyler Murray is more likely than not to not play. Which again is something that you have been saying is is within the within the range of possibilities. I mean, they, they definitely look like they're going down that path, which just takes Marquise Brown, Rondell Moore, you know, someone like a Michael Wilson, sadly, someone like a Trey McBride. It just it makes it really hard to see a path for them. On the other hand, I would say that I think this wide receiver group is so weak that Trey McBride is still an interesting volume based play at the very end of your drafts. Yeah, they have a very, another team that was very thin as well, numbers-wise at receiver. Um, I think they're down to five. Looks like they're going to be running plenty of two tight end stuff. Zach Ertz is saying he's not a lock. I mean, he himself has said he's not a lock for week one. McBride's probably going to be the starter. They're going to be doing these two tight end sets. He's going to be running plenty of routes, I think. I, I'm with you. I've come around on that as late as he goes. He's a, an intriguing name to consider. Maybe he can pick up a lot of volume even in a – a really bad situation, sort of like the Rams were, uh, you know, a total meltdown last year, but Tyler Higby was one of four tight ends who had over a hundred targets, bad efficiency, but he still finished as like tight end six in PPR on reception volume, basically alone. So that would be sort of the upside case for, for Trey McBride, as it were, that he, that he could be really poor uh, efficiency wise and the team could really suck, but he could get so much, so many targets that it could work. Uh, Sean, we are almost back on the clock. Tajay Spears does go while we are gone. Jonathan Mingo just went off. Roshan Johnson, Chuba Hubbard, Kendra Miller just went. 
that's a that's a dagger. I was sure he was going to come back with the supposed hamstring injury today. And that'll do it for part one of our special Stealing Bananas main event. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. Make sure you follow him at Yards Per Gretsch. Sign up for Stealing Signals. Sign up for Stealing Lines. Sign up for Stealing Signals Gold. We'd love to have you guys over there at Rotoviz. Coupon code is RV Radio 2023 at checkout. And I did want to mention, I drew the two names, the winners of the review contest from Stealing Bananas side from the OT side. Those names are Chandler and the Achievers have reached out to them, but also the response was so overwhelming that I wanted to pull some additional names as well. I pulled three more. I'll be getting in contact with those people. It won't be the same thing, but I'll kind of discuss with them what you know we could do because I just I couldn't keep it to only two. So those names will also be announced after I've had a chance to chat with them and again. Thank you so much to everyone who participated. It really helps us with the algorithm, and it just is so cool to hear that feedback. We love you guys. Talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.